Hey, thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the Tree of Life Church podcast. It's our prayer that these messages help connect you to the life, love, and power of Jesus. (laughs) Hello, everybody. God bless Texas. Yeah. Angel, stand up and wave at everybody. This is the love of my life. This is my angel. Uh, now, I'm not in a hurry, but I talk fast. And uh, I tell it all the time. When I was in basic training about five decades ago, uh, my drill instructor said, I know Southerners talk fast. I don't talk fast, I talk normal. I grew up in a big family, most of them are women, and they don't take turns with the talk. So if you've got to say something, you've got to shove it in. <laughs> now, I'm going to jump into, uh, uh, I'm in Matthew chapter 20, so I'm going to jump around just a little bit, but hang with me. Matthew chapter 20, start around uh, verse 20. Um, Jesus and the disciples are almost ready to, for the crossings coming up. They're not quite there yet. Been three years of good ministry, and so he's with the boys. And uh, James and John, the sons of thunder, like biker boys, got vest on. You know, I wear the sons of thunder. So the sons of thunder there, and they're with their mother, or their mother's with them. And so mom comes and bows down in front of Jesus. Jesus, I want to ask a favor of you. He said, what? She said, well, when you come into your glory, into your kingdom, I want to request that my sons can sit on either side of you, one on your left and one on your right. He said, well, Mama, I, I don't have any say-so about that. Only my father knows who's sitting where. But I appreciate you asking. Well, the other 10 that heard got mad. And they said, you got to have your mama ask where you can sit? <laughs> well, at least my mama loves enough to be here. Where's your mother at? <laughs> so anyhow, Jesus is starting to fight, so Jesus calms them down. So uh, uh, jumping around in verse 24, 25. It says this, Jesus is talking, he says, you know, the rulers of this world lorded over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it's going to be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Hmm. Whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give us a life as a ransom for many. Now, I wanted a big family. I did. Uh, my dad had 12 brothers and sisters, so did my father-in-law. And so when my father-in-law got married, my dad got married, they wanted one each. You know, I want one boy, one girl. God made two kinds. That's all I want, one each. Because, you know, you grow up trying to find some shoes to wear and a biscuit to eat and a bed to sleep on because it's a big family. I thought, well, I heard the stories and I wanted a big family. So I flipped back over so when I got married, I, we had six kids. No wonder we didn't have 12. And so I wanted a bunch. I want, a, I want somebody to take me to dinner on Sunday. <laughs> I want somebody to send me on a cruise. I want somebody to buy me a Winnebago. And you're laughing. I'm very serious. I've told my kids their whole life, you owe me. <laughs> Good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over, you owe me. I birthed you, bade you, taught you how to talk and walk, diagram a sentence, got you a date for the prom. I got your first car, fixed your crooked teeth, got you into college. I paid for your wedding, I paid for your honeymoon. You owe me. 
So parents, I never, I grew up in the South. Parents, I'd be glad you're out of my house. I never said that. No, when I'm 90 or 70, I'm still going to be your daddy. I might not be your at-home daddy, but I'll still be related to you. And so um, I wanted to be close by. So when my kids, we started dropping babies like rainwater out of heaven, I thought, well, you know, I want them to eventually leave home. I don't want you to live here till you're 40. Get out of here. Go. The Bible says children are a gift from God. He gives them to us, and then we're to train them up and give them back. And so I'm going to give you back to God eventually. So I'll fix you and teach you how to diagram a sentence and pass algebra and, you know, we'll get you out of college. But then you owe me. And so I've always given a big list. My kids, I've, I've joked around. I said, don't you ever buy anything from me for Christmas or my birthday that fits in a box. <laughs> uh, I'm serious. I'm not making this up. I'm not joking. I told her, hold on. Said, you want to buy me something? You either drive it up the driveway, it better be a cruise going somewhere. <laughs> so I got a new pickup, two cruises out of the deal, and I'm expecting something bigger. I, every Christmas, they were saving up. Big Winnebago. I want the big one. And so I've told them the whole life, you owe me. And so I mean it. I'm not joking. I mean it. Now, I realized when they were young, I thought, well, I got to start training them. And so um, married a great gal, and she's my wife, and then I started dropping babies. And so uh, when I started dropping babies, I went to the bottom of the food chain. And my wife became a housewife. Well, my house didn't need a wife. I needed a wife. Well, how do I get my house back? And so, so it took a year and a half, but I gave my house to my children. I said, you're going to wash dishes. You're going to mow the grass. You're going to clean the toilet. You're going to fold the towels. I'm giving the house to you, so your house children. And so all my children learned to work early, and I'm not being fine, I'm very serious. You need to learn how to work. You're not going to live in my house forever and you know, you make your bedroom your own private apartment. So I gutted all the bedrooms in my house. Uh, there was nothing in the bedroom except a bed and a dresser. There was no TV, no cell phone, no, no odd, nothing. God designed the average human to sleep a third of their life. So go to bed. Go to sleep. Get up. Come downstairs. Because I got a big screen TV in the family room. Uh, I had all the videos you could ever imagine back when they, when they had videos. So I got my own personal library back there. So I never had a bad movie. I only watched good movies. All the movies I watched, the good guy wins. I don't watch movies where the bad guy wins. That's why most of my movies are in black and white. And I got every John Wayne movie except Iwo Jima because he died in that, and I'm not going to watch that again. <laughs> People say, you're living in La La Land. No, I'm living in reality. And so I'm a Christian. I was taken out of the kingdom of darkness, placed in the kingdom of God's dear son. I'm behind enemy lines. I have on the armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit. It's a war, and it's not just eight hours a day. It's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Well, I want to prepare my kids for that. It is an honor to be alive on the planet in the last days. People would ask you, what's it, what, you know, two years ago when the 9-11 thing happened, everybody's panicking, like, what's going on? I said, well, somebody in Wuhan, China let something out of a jar, and they closed Disney. They never closed Disney. The Disney World shut down because somebody in China let something out of a jar. I said, well, eventually they're going to get it back in. And they'll open Disney back up. So my family, because I'm the only preacher and I'm Pentecostal, so it messes all up. And so when hell lands, the phone lights up. 
hey, Brother Joe, because it's usually just Joe. But when it's Brother Joe, I know it's serious. Brother Joe, what do you think's going on? Uh, somebody trying to let something out of a jar. Oh, is this the end? No, no. It's getting close, but no, not now. They'll get it back in. And they'll open Disney back up, and <laughs> the restaurants will be full again. And they won't space you apart. You know, we'll be able to fly again. I have to wear that a mask. It'll go back to normal, and it has. I said, it's in the Bible. You got to read the book. So I want to prepare my kids. So all my kids, I train my kids to serve. You want to be great in the kingdom of God? You got to learn how to serve. And so I'll read this getting real slow because it's what I, it's what I base my parenting on. <clears throat> Jesus said again, whoever wants to be first among you must become your servant or your slave. Said, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others. So I told him, you're going to serve. So whatever you're going to do, all my kids played every sport you can imagine. Uh, basketball, baseball, softball, football, uh, so they played it all. And people said, you made sports a god. No, I haven't. I want my kids busy, tired, and happy. I'm going to wear you out. I want to wear you out. I'm not joking. You can ask me, any of my kids, what's the goal? Wear you out. When you get home, you're going to say, Dad, can I go to bed? Please, go to bed. <laughs> now, I'm very serious. And so, I went involved. So, uh, uh, my oldest daughter was captain of the basketball team. My second, I went to another school. She's captain of her basketball team. John was captain of the football team. They all went to the top and said, your job is to serve. You're going to serve. And so, serving is by leading. That's what leaders do. Leaders are the bottom end of the totem pole. You're the head servant. You're not the head boss. You're the head servant. And so uh, my daughter, Corey, my third daughter, she was the only one that didn't go to college on a scholarship. All my kids went to college on scholarships. She's the only one that didn't. And so her younger sister went on a full scholarship. And so they went to the same college. So they told Corey, said, you get a scholarship for being related to your younger sister because she's real smart. <laughs> I'm not making this up. I'm sitting out there. So I just said, isn't it good? You get money just for being related. I said, you're good at something, honey. I just don't know what it is. I mean, I've been trying to figure it out for 18 years, and I don't have a clue what you're good at. But God didn't lie. You're good at something, you know, because she ran her mouth all the time. Just mouthed. Now, she never used a bad word, never cussed, never used foul language, never raised her voice. But she could cut you like a razor knife. And I sometimes I'd say, what did you say to me? I'm sorry, Dad, what did you hear? <laughs> I said, well, what did you say? Well, Dad, what did you hear? And I knew she's good. She's good with words. So I said, you're going to college, you're going to major in journalism. We're going to put that mouth to work. We're going to make us some money. <laughs> so when she went to college, she had a 25% scholarship for being related to a younger sister. And I said, honey, you're good at something. I just don't have a clue what it is. So start serving people. You like to take pictures, take your camera, volunteer to take pictures for the yearbook, uh, the college paper. And they let her do it for a year and a half for free. Her own camera, her own film. And uh, she went in every athletic event, every music event. And so two years into college, they came to her because the president of the university's son was the head of all that. Well, he graduated. So they came to her, Cor, would you like to take over the college paper and the yearbook staff? She said, I sure would. So she finished on a full scholarship. The Bible says your gift will make room for you. And so I told my kids, until you learn to serve, you're going nowhere. And what the problem is, most people say, well, you know, I'm not that smart. I'm not that athletic. I'm not the, 
You don't have to be nothing. You just need to show up. I've told for so many years, the teen years I was a school administrator, I collected 1,206 biographies of people who were millionaires and billionaires in America, none of who had finished high school. Now I'm an educator. I believe in education, but a degree will not get you a job. A degree will not get you a raise. Your God-given gift will get you a job. Your God-given gift will get you a raise. But you've got to be bold about it. The Bible says the righteous are as bold as lion, the wicked flee when nobody's chasing them. So I told Michael, you're destined to be the head wherever you go. You're going to be the lead wherever you go because that's the head servant. So you're going to learn to serve now. And so we trained them. It turned out really good. I mean, now there are no perfect kids. The reason I'm good at parenting is because there were three nationally known speakers who taught on family when I started 40 years ago. Three national speakers. Well, there was a couple in North Carolina, a great couple. And so they were pastors and they taught on marriage and parenting. And they were so good. National conferences. Well, he died. And so she stopped ministering. And there's another couple in California, older than Methuselah. And uh, well, in his late 70s, he had an affair with his secretary. Well, I shot his ministry in the foot, so he quit. And then a couple in, in Franklin, Tennessee, he went south too. So I moved to the head of the food chain. And so I have no competition. Now, I'm just telling the truth. And people because people think you have to have a perfect marriage to teach on marriage. There are all no perfect marriages. There's idiots who get married. There are no perfect parents. Everybody's a doofus. Everybody's messed up, mixed up. So when I started teaching parenting in my local church, they came and they said, Joe, will you teach on parenting? I guess. I said, well, obviously you know something. I don't know nothing about parenting. I just know how to have them. I don't know what to do with them once they show up. I don't have a clue. I'm still learning myself. So they pay, how'd you learn about parenting? I taught a parenting class. My pastor said, you got to teach on parenting. Okay, when did I start? Next Sunday, Sunday afternoon. Okay. I went home to my wife. I got to teach on parenting. She said, God help us. Well, he's going to have to. Because <laughs> I don't have a clue. And so a year after teaching parenting every Sunday afternoon, my pastor said, Joe, you need to teach on marriage. Our marriages are so messed up. Okay. So I'm talking about, I got to teach on marriage. Oh, dear God. <laughs> so I learned about marriage and parenting by teaching it. I'm not making this up. You'll never learn anything in life until you start doing it. So the devil shows up the minute you leave your mother's room. You're an idiot. You're dumb. You're stupid. You're too short, too tall, too fat, too skinny, too wrong color, wrong culture. Hell, hell lasts. It lies to the minute you leave your mother's room. You're an idiot. Shut up. Back of the room, back of the bus, in the line. No. I'm a child of the living God. I have been bought with a price. My name's in the Lamb's Book of Life. I can run boldly to the throne of grace to get mercy every time I need. I don't have to back into heaven. I run full force into heaven. And so I learned early when I grew up in church, you know, all of a sudden Billy Bob goes to church all the time. All of a sudden one Sunday he's not there. I said, where's Billy Bob? Well, they must be on vacation. Next Sunday he's not there. Where's Billy Bob? Well, it must take a long vacation. Third Sunday, where did Billy Bob? They said they died, you know. And so you find out what happened to Billy Bob. They sinned. They sinned. They, they're going to stay home until they clean themselves up. As soon as I clean myself up, I'll come back to church. You can't clean you up. That's why if you sin, you ought to be here when the door's open. You need to be the first row, first person in here. What are you doing? I'm running boldly to the throne of grace to get myself some merchant to help. 
There are no perfect people. And the world's full of people who judge one another. Yeah, you're not that smart. You can tell people, all the, you're not that smart. Now, my whole testimony, how I got promoted to an engineer from a janitor, great testimony, but it's too long to tell. And so how'd you become an engineer? Well, I just kept volunteering. And I took jobs nobody else would take. I worked overtime when nobody would work it. Most people are backing up. I'm not backing up. I'm dropping babies like rainwater. I got to feed this bunch. <laughs> so with that in mind, I'm going to read the scripture nobody ever reads. Um, this is an exodus. Nobody reads exodus. It's boring. That's a great story. So chapter 13, by the way, a good number. And I'll travel my whole life. You go to some hotels in New York, they don't have a 13th floor. 12, 14. I said, where's your 13th floor? We don't have one. Sure you do. You just, you just call it, you're lying about it. It's not the 14th, it's the 13th floor. <laughs> I said, 13's the luckiest number in the Bible. You ever read the story about the walls of Jericho? Well, God told him, walk around those walls once a day for six days. On the seventh day, you walk around seven times. That's 13. When the walls fall down, when you walk around 13 times, 13's a God number. That's not the devil's number. It's not unlucky. That's a lucky number. I, I wore 13 on the football, but I want 13 on my chest. Wow, that's a God number. You're getting ready to take some, we're going to take some captives, boys. Coming after you. I was proud to have 13. My daddy wore 13 when he played football. Got four college scholarships. It's like, what are you going to do? 13's a good number. Quit listening to the world. The world lies. This is the truth. It'll set you free and keep you free. And I say it all the time, volume two's not coming out. God's hanging with volume one anyhow. It says this, uh, chapter 13, let's jump in at verse 17 of Exodus. When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. Where are you going to lead them? Red Sea. Going over here to the water. Now, nobody reads this, but it's a fascinating story. And I'll just read the first couple of verses of chapter 14. The Lord gave Moses these instructions. Order the Israelites to turn back and camp out down here along the shore. Then Pharaoh will think, well, the Israelites are confused. They're trapped in the wilderness. And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He will chase after you. I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord, the God of the Israelites. Well, now you read the whole chapter, what happened? I'm going to drown every stinking one of them. Now, when they showed up, they wanted to stone Moses. Because when you lead your family as a dad, as a mom, your family said, what are you doing? Well, I've heard from God. We're going to do this. Well, that's stupid. No, it's not. I've heard from God. And some people are afraid to say that. My whole family knows, what you do? Well, I heard from God. And I made mistakes. Okay, everybody back at why? Wrong direction. I thought you heard from God. Evidently, I didn't. It must be me just listening to my sleep or something. I don't know. But back up. We're going to take another way. The Bible says the righteous fall seven times a day, but they get back up. 
We're not the perfect people. We're the getting back up people. I told my kids they got married. You're not going to marry a perfect person. You're going to marry a doofus. <laughs> Marriage is nothing more than two doofuses growing up together. So my daughter started dating. Uh, I make them come to the house. Uh, uh, they couldn't date till they were 16. And then I said, okay, can't date 16. But your first five dates are at my house. And so the girl sometimes he calls dead. There's a guy that asked me out and I don't want to go. So I'm not making this up. So this one kid called. Mr. Gee, it's Billy Bob. Yeah. I'd like to take your daughter out Friday night. I said, no. <laughs> Mr. McGee, you there? Oh, yeah, I'm here, son. <laughs> Mr. I'm calling to ask permission to take your daughter out Friday night. No. <laughs> Mr. Why, why not? I don't need a reason. <laughs> They're my daughters. Grow up, get your own. You can do what you want. But... <laughs> and I'm not making this up. I don't have to tell you nothing. I birthed them, bathed them, raised them. You didn't earn any right to come in here and do anything. And so then every now and then he goes, Dad, I really want to date this guy. I said, okay. So I tell him, I want to meet you for 30 minutes before Friday night. I'll meet you after school, meet you after ball practice, whatever. So I'd meet with him. Sometimes they'd come to the house, and so he'd come out of the house, but before Friday. So this one kid came out, and we are going to have some apple pie and a cup of coffee. I asked the same question every time, 30 minutes. I'm looking for the answer to one question. Son, what do you see yourself doing five years from now? And this kid at my table eating out pies. Nah, I don't know. I think I'm probably going to get me a job at McDonald's. And I said, well, son, you need to have another piece of apple pie. <laughs> yeah, that's all you get at this house. <laughs> I'm not making this up. I know you think I'm trying to be funny. I'm telling the truth. I told him, son, I raised my daughters to be a help me to some guy going somewhere. Now, I'm fully comfortable with your vision. You can get there all by yourself. So you don't need a date. You need a dog or a cat or something. So, so anyhow. So, the ones they did like, I said, okay, yeah, we'll do this. They'll like them. And so, I said, okay. We just, and so, they'd prep. Well, I'm going to be doing this in five years, 10 years, 20 years. I've got a 20-year plan. All right. So, they come to the house. And I said, now, when you come to the house Friday night, don't wear anything nice. You wear something skanky. Your dirty jeans, your nasty t-shirts, because I'm going to work the snot out of you. Don't wear your brute, leave it at home, because I'm going to make you sweat. So I have five daughters and one son. My son's younger. The guys that came to my house, I work them like a dog. We've laid rock walls. we poured concrete uh, basketball courts. We, we, we've cut firewood. We've chopped down trees. I'm going to work you like a dog. And then, especially Jess, when she started dating, Jessica was the three-point shooting champion in Oklahoma, all-state basketball player. She's short, she's 5'6", but she can shoot the lights out of that ball, so I got a court in my front yard, put it in myself. So we live out in the country, so I got a court with floodlights on it. I said, now, honey, I want you to beat the dog out of here. <laughs> Embarrassing bad. Oh, Dad, no, really, I want you to just pound him. And so, you know, they you know, played 21. Well, you know, sometimes he wouldn't score five points. My daughter would be like a dog, so and they get mad. Uh, honey, I need you to know that you're not marrying a perfect man. They don't exist. He's probably going to lose his temper. He hates being embarrassed. Men hate to be embarrassed. I want you to embarrass the snot out of I want you to see what you're going to marry. You need to see where this is going. He needs to know how to repent quick and forgive quick. Because if you don't know how to prevent, <laughs> forgive quick and repent quick, you're what we call spiritually constipated. 
you're stopped up. We know that when you open your mouth, nothing but dung comes out. Okay, let's get to the main story. This is, uh, this is out of Numbers. It's a great story. Uh, Numbers chapter 13. Um, Is has been a slave for 400 years. Stomped on mud, gone stupid. They've served God, denied God, served God, denied. Well, they've been 400 years of stupid. So after 400 years, they cried out to God, God, we need help. He said, yes, you do. Will you send some help? Yes, I will. Well, what he did, he had a lady get pregnant that afternoon. Nine months later, she had a baby. After she had the baby, the devil didn't possess his favor because he knows something's going on. Too many angels flapping around. The devil cannot read your mind. He can read your, he hear your words. He cannot read your mind. He's not God. He's a fallen angel. We give him too much punch. But he is deadly. So all of a sudden, the devil didn't possess the Pharaoh. Pharaoh makes a law, kill every baby boy two years of age and under because he knows something. The deliverer's been born. The deliverer's got to kill him before he grows up. So they kill every baby boy, two years of age and under, up and down the Nile River. What's happening? The devil's trying to kill God before he grows up. Wise men are following this star across the desert. You know, silent night, holy night, we forget where we are. And so they show up to King Herod, and Herod says, what are you doing? Well, we've been following the star. We're wise men from the east, and the king of kings has been born. We've come to worship him. And so Herod said, really? Well, when you find him, come tell me that I might come worship him. Well, you know, they left. The angel warned him, no, he's a liar. Don't do that. Leave a different way. So Mary and Joseph weren't about to just go to Egypt. The wise men left their way. Herod gets mad, goes into Bethlehem, kills every baby boy two years of age and under. What's going on? The devil's trying to kill God before he grows up. He's a fallen angel. He doesn't know everything. It was to one day when that crazy carpenter, you know, remember Jesus, he owned the local Home Depot. <laughs> and so if you need wood, they make it. So Jesus' brothers and sisters all worked for him. Now, none of his kids, none of his brothers and sisters believed in him. They knew, you, we don't know who your daddy is. Mama was sleeping around. Oh, it was the room. I'm not mentioning anything in the Bible. Mama was sleeping around, so they don't like him, but they worked for him. So all of a sudden, one day, everybody runs into the house. Mama, people down at the shop, they need the furniture. Well, where's Jesus? Well, he's not there. He's in town. Weird stuff's happening. There's eyeballs popping in and hands are growing out. Dead people are getting up. They're going to kick us out of the synagogue. we got to go get them. So Mary said, let's go. So Jesus in this house in town, it's so packed you can't get in there. Matter of fact, there's four guys on the roof taking off the roof tiles, trying to lower a crippled friend down so Jesus can lay hands on and heal him. All of a sudden, a guy walks in, hey, Jesus, hey, gee, your mother and your brothers are out here. Really? He said, well, now, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Are there not these sitting here with me? And so Mary heard it. She went, I've lost him. No, you're not lost. He just found out who he was. And so Jesus came to give his life. That's why the the Bible says, had the devil known, 1 Corinthians 7, had the devil known, he never would have crucified the Lord of glory. God suckered the devil into killing his son because his son had never sinned, did not deserve to die. Whoa. That's why I love Cecil B. Mill's Ten Commandments. You know, Ten Commandments. Do you know nobody's ever kept the Ten Commandments? They're on the front of every courthouse in America, in all the books. 
Now, I was the head of a very large, very good Christian school, 700 students, and all born-again spirit-filled kids. And from time to time, I'd, I taught a class called Biblical Worldview, 50 minutes. I'd get up, and I'd, oh, they get something out. Okay, guys, get out a blank piece of paper and a pencil. Write down the Ten Commandments. I don't care what order they're in. They don't have to be in order. But write them down. Did you know, in 10 years as a school administrator, no one ever wrote the Ten Commandments. They couldn't remember them. Well, you shouldn't steal or, you know, race your car down the road or, <laughs> you know. You know I was like, no. Now, see, God gave them because he knew we couldn't keep them. That's why if you go to the temple or the tabernacle, blood ran on that temple 24 hours a day, seven days a week. What's happening? Well, we're slitting every throat in the town, every, every turtle dove, every sheep, every cow. We're slitting throats. Why? Well, because you had to shed blood to cover your sins. And then the people take the bull down there, slit his throat. They wouldn't get halfway home before they'd sin again. Under Lord, I've already sinned again. It's still the same thing. And it's cost them everything they had. God said, sin's got death attached to it. It's going to kill you. And so, so they got this. Well, then finally, when Jesus was on the cross, when Jesus, right before he gave up the ghost, when Jesus died on that cross, the veil in the temple was ripped top to bottom. <laughs> no more bulls. No more goats. No more sheep. No more sacrifice. It's my faith of what Jesus did, not what I did. I said, you can't clean you up. God's done it for you. Amen. I can run boldly to the throne of grace, get mercy up time to me. What's mercy? I don't deserve it. I've not earned it, but God will give it to me. That's why I'm blind by the mess on the side of the road. And he heard that noise. He's been blind from birth. He said, what's that racket? Well, the, the healing guys, that healing rabbi's coming down the road. And all of a sudden, he starts to scream, mercy, mercy, son of David. He didn't scream, hey, eyeballs, healing man, I need some eyeballs over here. He's asked for mercy because everybody knew God will stop his tracks for mercy. When Jesus heard him cry mercy, he stopped. The disciples in your Bible said, Lord, don't bother him. He's just crazy old blind man. No, so Jesus walks up to the blind man, bends over, and says these words. Blind man, what can I do for you? Peter says, but Lord, he, he didn't have any eyeballs. <laughs> Peter, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the blind man. Blind man, what can I do for you? Lord, that I might receive my sight. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus never ministered to anybody without first asking, what can I do for you? I'm God. I can do all things. But I'm limited by what you believe I can do. That's why we are in the most powerful thing on this planet, I think, called the local church. Your pastor is your salvation. Well, yeah, I'm in a local church. Greatest place in the world to be. This is where it's happening. We are the salt and light of this planet. I pray for my president every day. I've prayed for every president I've ever voted for and the ones I didn't vote for. God said, I'm to pray for those with authority that I might live a quiet and peaceful life. Now God is nonstop. So I pray for my president every day. Lord bless him. Give him a good night's sleep. Send him smart men and women around him. And, and so, but the world's caught up. Now I only, I only deal with Christians. There's too many people speaking negative. Man, what an idiot. I'm dumber than dirt. Please shut your mouth. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Call those things to be not as though they are. Amen. America's not great because in the White House, America's great because we have a church. <laughs> now here's the story, it's a real good one. Number 13, been slaves forever, and finally going to the promised land. God's trying to bless the people. God wants the people so blessed. People ask us about the hope that's in us. 
God's going to take people that have been slaves for 20 years and said, I'm going to take you to your own country. You're going to live in houses you didn't build. You're going to eat from vineyards you didn't plant. I'm real stinking good. I want to be real stinking good to you. <laughs> Who? Bunch of sinners that have been in rebellion. God's trying to bless them. Why? So the world will look at you and ask you about the hope that's in you. How'd you do so good? I got saved, spirit filled. What happened to you? I found a real good local church. I got a great pastor. I fellowship with the saints. God made it so, listen, I'm an educator. I am. But education won't get you nothing. It's not your degree. And I've shared this so many times. When I was an administrator, I collected 1,206 biographies uh, for my students in 10 years. All people who became millionaires and billionaires, none of whom finished high school. It's not your degree, it's not your GPA, it's not your IQ, it's who's your God. The Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion, but the wicked flee, nobody runs. It's who's a believer. Oh my goodness. So it says this, this short sermon, here it is. Uh, chapter 13 of Numbers, verse one. Now the Lord said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I'm giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each tribe. And that's what he did. Picked out 12 guys, sent them across the river. You're gonna go in there for 40 days and spy out the land. See what kind of land it is. Is it a good land, a bad land? Is it fertile? Is it not fertile? Are the wall cities are unprotected? It's all written here in the next several verses. God said, check it out and see if I've lied. <laughs> see what kind of land it is. So then they're coming back. They're coming back. So it says on their way back, uh, they came to the valley uh, where they cut down a branch of grapes, a single cluster of grapes so large it took two men to get on a pole between them. Now I love grapes. I like green grapes, purple grapes, seedless grapes, and seedy grapes. I don't get it. I love grapes. Now, when I go to the grocery store, and I bought grapes many times, I buy grapes, they put them in a little plastic bag, and I carry them out. I've never had to have two men carry my grapes in the car for me. Hey, can you two guys get my grapes? Why? Because these are grapes from the promised land. They're the size of cantaloupes. They're as big as your head. It's called the promised land for a reason. God's trying to bless his ignorant, sinful people so that the world will ask them, how did you get so lucky? It's not luck. I'm blessed. I've been bought with a price. My name's the Lamb's Book of Life. There's so many ages around me, you can't count them. That's who we are. But you got to get that in and do that. You got to stay in church and hang out with the saints. No, I'm preaching to myself. He said, when they came back through, they got those big cluster of grapes and stuff. So they came back, been gone for 40 days. Uh, verse 25, after exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses and Aaron. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore. It is indeed a bountiful territory, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's some of the fruit that we take, that we took there and it produces. But the people living there are powerful. Their towns are large and fortified. We saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Malachites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Hey, let's go at once and take this land. We're certainly able to conquer it. But the other men that explored the land said, no, we can't go against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread, they spread a bad report. Everybody say bad report. Somebody's always spreading a bad report. They spread a bad report among the Israelites. It said, the land we traveled in and explored, we'll devour anybody that goes there, we saw giants. Now, 
The Bible says 10 gave an evil report, two gave a good report. 10 gave an evil report, two gave a good. They all saw the same thing. They ate the same food. They slept in the same place. What did two see, 10 did not see? Two saw God. We are more than able. We belong to God. We're more than able. We belong to God. They're not able. The 10 wanted to run back into slavery. They wanted to go back into Egypt. They want to go back. Some people are always running backwards. So we got to hide and wait till it gets better. It's never going to get better. We live in the last days. Place is a mess, but not us. We're the, law and, we're the light and salt. We're setting people free. I've had so many people ask me, Joe, what do you think it's like to be alive in the last days? I said, I'm honored that God would let me be alive now. It is the greatest day of human history. People ask me, you think it's a good time to get married? Never been a better time to get married than now. Think it's a good time to have kids? Never been a better time to have babies than now. It's the last days when God's spirit is poured out without measure on his people. Quit watching the world, quit listening to the world, quit reading the world. Hang out with the people of God. Read this book, Joshua 1.8. If you meditate in this, day and night, you'll prosper and have good success. What are you looking for? Prosperity and success. So to all my kids, I expect you to do well. Now again, ain't you we've got eight kids. All have college degrees, all have great jobs. They're not perfect, but they're doing really, really good. Why? Somebody taught them. Somebody picked them up when they fell down. Somebody confronted them they went stupid. Somebody hugged their neck when they needed encouragement. I'm the great, I've told my kids, I am the greatest thing that ever happened to you. Outside Jesus, I'm the second greatest thing that ever happened to you. I'm like Santa Claus stuck upside down your chimney. Oh, oh, oh. Now, I've told them before, I said, let's see now. Now, see, now, who fixed your crooked teeth? Well, that was me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who sent you to summer camp? That was me. Who put that swimming pool in the backyard? That was me. Who made the whole front yard a basketball court with floodlights on it? That was me. <laughs> who got you a date for the prom? That was me. <laughs> Who got you into college? Me. Me. You have a lot of enemies. I am not one of them. But I love you enough, I will confront you if you go stupid. Let's stand up. It is an honor to be a parent, a grandparent, a step-parent. Doesn't matter who you are. You are anointed to do what you're called to do. You are not, you have not been left alone. You're not by yourself. I, I don't think God's left me. God hasn't left anybody. God's everywhere all the time. Nothing's ever shocked God. The Bible says nothing's ever come upon you that God did not see coming before your mother met your father. Whatever I'm going through, God saw coming before my mom ever met my dad. And God said, whatever's come upon you, son, I've already made a way out. So quit dropping and start talking to God. So God's got a way. It's going to be really good. And what are you going to do? I'm going to get me a testimony. You can't have a testimony unless you've been tested. Well, I don't want no testimony. You're going to get one. You better put a smile on your face and get moving. We're trying to accumulate stuff on our chest. I was coming back from basic training through Memphis. 
those young Marines just came back from Vietnam. So I love their uniforms. I'm in the Army. Man, those Marine uniforms are nice. So he's got a rainbow hanging off his chest. And I keep trying to stare at him. He caught me staring and said, I'm sorry. That, that's a lot of stuff on your chest. What is that? You know, well, these are campaigns I've been in here. You know, we got up here, whipped them, whipped them, whipped them. I almost got, I almost got whipped here. We finally whipped them, whipped them, whipped, whipped them. Now, I have the National Defense Ribbon, and, and I'm an expert with the M16 when nobody's shooting back at me. I said, well, I signed up. I took my dress green jacket off and carried it over my arm all the way home. I was so embarrassed to not have anything on my chest. I thought, get me somewhere so I can get something on my chest. What are you? I'm a Christian. What are you going to do? Well, I'm storming the gates of hell, setting captives free, feeding the hungry, getting water to the thirsty, helping the orphan, helping the widow. What are you going to do? I'm a blessing. I'm looking for a place to happen. Every day you get it, we doing it. I'm looking for a place to happen. I'm a problem solver. Blessed are the problem solvers. They should be called the children of God. So when you show up, you're not a griper. You're a solver. What's happening? Well, we're got hell. Well, I'm here to fix hell. That's my, that's my job. Bow your heads. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word that sets us free and keeps us free. Thank you for letting us be alive in the last days when your spirit is poured out without measure. Thank you for placing us in the body of Christ where it's pleased you, Father. There are no axes. So, Father, we say thank you for your grace, for your mercy, and for your help. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Thanks again for joining us this week. We pray that this message encouraged and inspired you. If you want to find out how you can be a part of Tree of Life, just go to our website, treeoflifechurch.org. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend.